right. And how about the young lady on Mother's Day? This beautiful daughter says to her mother, Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in all the world? And Mom, in her wisdom, replies, I don't know, dear. You'll have to ask Grandma. <laughs> Don't try that one on mom, okay? <laughs> Today's message is <clears throat> the great cost of discipleship. There's a cost for everything, isn't there? I remember growing up in an age when science fiction and space were just out there as kind of a dream. Do some of you remember that? Some of you, if you help me out, a few of you remember that. And that's a time when a lot of even television shows were coming on. Uh, the screen with the theme of space and all you can imagine, some of the different shows coming up, Star Trek and some of those early shows back then, Lost in Space. Some of you remember shows like that. I see hands going up and, you know, for every boy being lost in space with some beautiful women like that, was a, that was a great show, wasn't it? But Lost in Space, and you look back at it now, the technology is bizarre. I mean, I say to use the word technology. I think they had some guys working on uh, sets for about five bucks an hour making a little scary-looking monster that you can just tell is fake. But it was all fun, and all of it grew out of that. But out of that, out of all that space exploration and having a television wheeled into a room and watching those early uh, launches, it was quite a time, wasn't it? There was a battle for... A space supremacy with the former Soviet Union and U.S. was gearing up all those things. And out of that, when it came to going around to sharing in a school class, what would you like to be when you grow up? So many of the students would say, I would like to be an astronaut. After all, it looked pretty glamorous, didn't it? Right? You get this really cool suit. Everyone is watching. You blast off in this thing and go around the earth and you come back. Well, just for your information, I never wanted to be that. I didn't. I was, uh, I was more earthbound at that point. I wanted to be a fireman for a while, then after a while I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew this. There was a whole lot involved in that, but so many did. There may be some in this room that have even gone to the space camp they have in Alabama, or maybe some of you worked on the space program or wanted to be an astronaut. Anyone here would say, yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut at one time. Anyone? Yeah, there's hands going up. Van, I know you'd raise your hand. You probably came the closest. You're flying people all around here as a uh, trainer, a flight trainer. But some of us did, and lots of kids did back then. It was kind of romantic, and this is what you do. But there was a cost for that. And uh, sometimes they'd show you those astronauts in training in this machine that would spin you around for centrifugal force, and they're faces here when they start and when they're in the middle of that thing their faces behind their head you know just pull back there that didn't look like fun did it today we're talking about another cost of course it's a great cost of discipleship and today's message if you will understand today's message through the funnel of Jesus knowing the hearts of the people he's speaking with if you just take it at surface value, you may miss some of this. But Jesus right now knows the limiting issues 
inside of me, of you, and he knew the limiting issues inside of the three people we're looking at today. They approach Jesus in different ways, but inside them you'll find some incredible things. You'll find some incredible truth for your life, whether you're a university student, middle school student, senior adult, and everything in between. There is a great cost. Three people that have contact with the God of the universe on a particular day in a real story as Jesus is walking along. Understand, Jesus saw the limiting issues inside of each one of them. It says in Luke 9, 57 and 58, point one, the cost of discipleship. First of all, self-denial. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, and if you're new to the Christian faith, this seems kind of bizarre. And say, where did this come from? But let's look at it. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Kind of an odd response to someone saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. Like someone coming forward, perhaps during a time of response, and when we say that to them. So what is it about? Once again, if you filter this through the dynamic of Jesus Christ knows the limiting issues inside of a person, Jesus addresses something that was potentially or was living inside this person. And I'll bring up that next one. Thank you. He says, and by the way, this man approaches Jesus. He comes to Jesus and makes this declaration, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty hefty statement, isn't it? All of us can write some checks with our tongue that we can't cash with our actions, right? So this, offer, this person be, offers to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus' reply in verse 58 was directly to the point. Once again, sir, what is the limiting issue in your life? You just said that. You'll follow me wherever I go. Let me clarify this a little bit. So what did Jesus offer? Jesus offers self-denial. Bring up the next slide if you would. The bottom line is Jesus himself was a supreme example of that. And, of course, Jesus gave it all up to meet the needs of the world. So if you'll follow me wherever I'm going to go, I know you may not get it yet, but I'm going to a cross. And little do you know that when I go to that cross, a handful of people out of the tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of people that I came across in my ministry, a handful will follow me. So, sir, let me ask you about your limiting issues in your life because even animals have a place to live. Even animals have a place they can call home and put their head down. I don't. So you really want to follow me? Because you're not going to follow me to the palace down here yet. You're going to follow me to some places maybe you don't want to go. So Jesus looks inside this man's heart, and he tests it. Jesus didn't offer him any luxury. Jesus didn't offer him any material success. Jesus says, here's the bottom line. You want to follow me? Now look, this man saw some of the same things in Jesus and evidently liked them, just like many people in this room and around the earth and watching our simulcast saw about Jesus. They saw his generosity. They saw his power in speaking. They saw him gravitate and help a blind person, a lame person, feed people. He, they liked things about Jesus to the point that this man was able to make a statement 
that he would follow Jesus wherever he went. Now, the bottom line is the man may not have known it, but he's defining discipleship with his statement. But he's ignorant of what it would mean at this juncture. So Jesus looks at the limiting issues inside of him, and he tells them, here's the, here's the bottom line. And he tells them several different things. Bring them up. First of all, a profession was not enough. People will come forward here and thousands of churches around the world or in their seats or pews make a decision in their mind. They can make a profession in their mind. They can go to their small groups and make a decision or a profession. But that's not enough because a profession is rather easy, is it not? So a mere profession, let me say mere profession is not enough. Being willing was not enough. This guy is willing, isn't he? He says, I will follow you. But that's not enough because, well, sometimes an initial willingness can fade pretty quickly because he says, wherever you go. And so it begs the question for me and for you, will you follow Jesus wherever he goes? Will you do that? Will you go to places that are uncomfortable to you? Will you be in situations that you don't like? Will you be in places where your reputation or your monetary compensation will be lessened? Will you be an oddball in your family, in your university class? Will you follow me wherever I go? And so, not enough. The cost of discipleship is sacrifice, and not everyone is willing to pay the price of that sacrifice. There is a price. So let me just make no bones about it. This message cuts to the heart of every person in earshot of what I'm saying and out there in simulcast land because it's talking to me and talking to you. Jesus comes back and tells us about this cost of discipleship. It involves great sacrifice. Bring up this passage, if you would. It's found in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in human appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Remember, Jesus will never ask me or you to do something he hadn't already done. He said, be fishers of men. Jesus was fishing after people. He said, be humble. Jesus was humble. Jesus said, sacrifice is sacrifice. You can go on and on. In fact, there's a great study in the Word of God. Look at the demands of Jesus Christ and say that he puts on us and say that Jesus fulfilled that. You'll find in every case that he has. See, he didn't have to put a place to lay his head but animals did. And so Jesus looked at a limiting issue in this man's life and just made sure. Sir, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Because when you become one of my disciples, you have to count a cost. And there's going to be a cost to follow me. And sometimes that may not make you very popular. And sometimes you're going to be in an extreme minority. And in that day and time, they were. They're living in a pagan culture, they were living in a religious culture, but they weren't living in a Christocentric and a theocentric culture that focused around the true and living God. 
And so some of the people that Jesus spoke to, perhaps some of the people that day were the very ones that saw drug out of their houses, the very ones who were hung on crosses, who had their lives taken away from them because Jesus said, will you follow me all the way? What a waste, pastor. Talent like Stephen martyred years ago right off the bat just after becoming a deacon. Let me say this to you. If God calls us to give our lives for him, and people like Stephen that did that, you know what? Name me 12 people that stoned him. Thank you. Silence. 2,000 years later, you know whose name I know? You know whose name's preached around the world? Someone that sacrificed and followed Jesus right to the end. You see, that's what really matters, doesn't it? Isn't that the essence of what it's all about? Jesus said, be willing to follow me all the way. The cost of discipleship, excuse me, the great cost of discipleship is self-denial. Secondly, there's another person that approaches Jesus. Unlike the first man, the first man approaches Jesus and says it. This time, Jesus approaches and singles out someone and gives the command to follow him. The cost of discipleship involves undivided attention. And Jesus looks into the limiting issues of his heart and begs the question, do you have divided loyalties? Do you have undivided attention to me? Or is it me and something else that you hold on to both? Let's look at it. It says in Luke 9, 59 and 60, he said to another man, follow me. Stop. Jesus had been healing people, doing miraculous things. Jesus was like no other person ever walked the earth, period. That person comes up to a man, picks him out. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he was sitting there amening the other person. Maybe he's followed Jesus for weeks Maybe he's been on the verge of seeing uh, some different change in his life. Maybe he had some things going on, but for whatever. Jesus, looking into his heart, brings him to a crucial point of decision. And he says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Now it seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? And Jesus' answer, we'll read it in a second. It's going to seem really harsh, isn't it? But let's, can we unpackage this a little bit? Look at it. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. Uncomfortable. I don't like that, Jesus, some may think. I don't care for that. What's wrong with Jesus? Let's look at it, okay? You see, Jesus, in looking at his limiting issues, saw partial commitment. Because you have to ask yourself, no matter what scholar you read about this, no matter how you dissect these words, no matter how you see it interpreted, it comes back to a couple of different things. If the man's father was dying, someone said, well, this man, his father was in a dying process. He needed to go back and be there for his father and help with that. Some say, well, the man's father, no, really did die and uh, he wants to go back and do what he's supposed to do and preparing the body and blah, blah, whatever. You can go here. Or the man's not telling the truth. But I believe he's telling the truth in some way. I don't know what, exact, what exactly that is. But let me ask you a question. 
if your loved one has died, today being Mother's Day, are you going to go out when there's going to be a service and you just died and go follow somebody to a concert someplace? You're in a place of mourning in that. And Jesus is going to make a point in front of this whole crowd that's following him that if you're going to really follow me, I want your undivided attention. I don't want excuses because there is something in here that he says, Lord, first. Lord, first. Those words don't fit, do they? Lord, first. Lord means boss. It means master. First, let me get this other thing done. I guarantee you that lives in the human spirit, the dynamic of first, let me do something. What is it? First, let me get this. First, let me have that. First, let me get out of school. Then I'll be a witness. First, let me get in a better environment. Then I can share more. First, let me have this. First, let me meet the right person. First, let me whatever. Get this job. Get this house. Get this thing. First, 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 first. First, let me get more time. Let me ask you something. Have you discovered something? Every day is 24 hours. Well, Pastor, when I retire, I'll have more time. Go find a retired person. Here's what I hear often. I've got to get back to work, Pastor. I'm just getting killed at the house. I've got more things to do than I ever did. Got to get back to the office. But even then, we make excuses for that, do we? And first of all, we make the wrong presupposition that will even reach retirement age, don't we? We make some real assumptions in life when Jesus Christ said, you don't even know about tomorrow. So, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Lord, really? Watch. Jesus saw this man's partial commitment, and look what he says. He demanded that the man act now. When you say first, you're already, take the word Lord off of it. Put your own name in, because whatever I put in there that I want to do first, then I'm the Lord. I'm the boss. Yes, that's true. Understand that Jesus saw the limiting issues in each of these people, and in this case, we're seeing what he says. The bottom line is, he demands that this man would grasp the sense of urgency that Jesus was about. I'll follow you wherever wherever you go, Jesus. Jesus is on a mission to save people. And Jesus is saying when he tells them, let the dead bury their own dead, when someone is gone, we have a service here not to pray that person into a new location. Once you leave this earth, you either leave as someone who's had their sins paid for by Jesus and received the gift of eternal life and made him the Savior and Lord of your life, or you don't. You're a saint or an ain't. There's one way or the other. No pastor can preach you out of hell and into heaven or out of heaven and into hell, it's already decided. We're not having the service for that person, hoping they'll get up and give an amen from where they are in there, whether it's an urn or in a, a death condominium, whatever they are, whatever. That's it. It's over. The service is for the people, isn't it? And we look and we can be glad we call them celebration of lives here, of what God has done through their life and how they blessed. But Jesus is saying, Get the sense of urgency. We have people that are going to an eternal death that we can still get, that we can still snatch, that we can still harvest. If you're going to follow me, that's my mission. Be about the most important things in life. There's nothing wrong with 
having a celebration of life. But Jesus, looking into his heart, saw. He saw those limiting issues. And okay, another excuse maker, not like God hadn't seen them. Let me first do that. Jesus requires immediate response. And if the Holy Spirit of God has given you an immediate response to what you just heard, whether it's to go to be serving an international mission field, to serve as a vocational pastor, an immediate response because he busts you on the fact of a partial commitment of your material resources, of your time, give an immediate response to it today. If you're saying first, it's just an affront to God. And Jesus knows these people's limiting issues, and he knows mine, and he knows yours. And so he demanded this man would get the sense of urgency. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me, that puts my name in there and yours, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he, say the next word out loud, cannot be my disciple. So no matter what claim a person puts on it, Jesus puts the claim, you cannot be my disciple. If anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so, Jesus, God, who created family, is not against family. Jesus is not saying, great, I have a great excuse to hate my brother, my sister, my father, my spouse, whatever. Jesus is saying, compared to him, Your loyalty to me is first. And if it comes between choosing between me and your very family, choosing even between me and your very self, your own comfort, your own life, then you can't be my disciple unless you choose me. Otherwise, you'll be a disciple of your own comfort, your own issues. But you can't be my disciple. I demand loyalty. See, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus says? He tells them, let them go bury it. You. It's a middle reflexive, emphatic statement. You, yes, you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's our mission, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus tells me and you as disciples of Jesus, if we are disciples? But it's easy to make a profession. First man did, but there were some limiting issues. Self-denial. I got nothing. They can't offer you anything except self-denial. In this case, with this man, we have a case really a case of a lack of trust. And that's where the rubber hits the road for me and for you. Will God take care of me if I go do that? You go proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, first I've got some things to do. I will. I'll get, I'll get around to it. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've been by a bedside of someone leaving this earth that only wishes they'd found Jesus sooner or started serving him sooner, or became a disciple sooner. See, today's the day. One of the most honoring things we can do is have the right kind of response and not cheat at solitaire before God because God looks inside my heart and yours, and he knows what the limiting issues are. Whether it's a pastor who can hide behind a Bible or a pulpit, or someone that hides in a choir, or someone that hides on a committee, or wherever it is, in a chair, a pew, If you're serving there, it's one thing. If you're hiding there, it's another. And it's never a substitute for total loyalty to Jesus Christ. told you today's message wouldn't be easy, right? You see, nothing can be done for the dead because they're dead. 
But while people are living, they can be reached. Don't waste time on things that are secondary to the kingdom of God. Now, yes, God gives us permission and calls us to love family. Honor your mother and father. Scripture is filled with it. But once again, understand it's in comparison. And some people will choose family over God Almighty. And Jesus says to them, you can't be my disciple. I don't care how sincere you are. It doesn't matter what you say of the profession. You cannot be my disciple because you loved that more than me. You didn't trust me to take care of the other situation with them. You follow me. You proclaim the kingdom of God. And some people put that on the back burner because they feel more comfortable with it. They do it their own way. But Jesus saw the limiting issues. A third person comes. A first man comes up. He approaches Jesus and said, I will follow you. A second person comes up, and Jesus looks at them, and it makes it right to them. He narrows it in. You follow me. Wow. The third person, cost of discipleship, don't look back. Look what happens in Luke 9, 61 and 62. Still another said. So this person approaches Jesus. This person has been in the earshot of all that's being said as far as we know. And he says, I will follow you. He takes the initiative. What's the next two words? But first. Anytime you use the word, usually, 99% of the time, use the word but, add another T to it. That's what we make of ourselves. But. Still another said, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Right? Seems pretty reasonable. I will follow. Let me go back and say goodbye to them. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow. There were some messages there that day I can only imagine. I'd have loved to have been around the campfire when the disciples were saying, Jesus, what was going on today? Wow. This is some heavy stuff, Jesus. Well, he says, but first, it's always one more thing, isn't it? Isn't it? You notice the commonality in human spirit? But first, let me go do that. And you see, what's, what's really so slick about this? He didn't say, but first, let me go rob a bank. But first, let me go steal a chariot. I always want. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus saw the limiting issues inside of this person. And Jesus nails it. He just tells them, look, here's the bottom line to this thing. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Now, that's what this guy evidently was looking to do, to look back. There was someone else that looked back in the Bible. Wasn't there? Have you ever wondered why that is? So many people have asked it to say, well, God was destroying those cities, and she was looking back to see the smoke and all that was happening. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something, because we've had some neighbors before that lost their house in a fire, their total house back at Roman Acres. They're fleeing from a place, and they have to kind of drag them out of there. How much do you think she was taking with her of her stuff? Thank you. None. I think, I think, I may be wrong. 
The Bible doesn't say this, but it says she turned back. Look what I've left back here. All my, look what I left, even that story, look what I left back here. And you see, sometimes in the Christian walk and being a disciple to make that choice, I'll follow you, but first, I want this first. You mean I have to give up this? To go be saved out of that, I have to give up this? You have to give up even the rights to your own life. You don't even own yourself. The Bible doesn't hide that. This is a message of truth that Jesus gives. But first, you see, Jesus tells us, Matthew 6, 33, but first, what? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The world, the fleshliness inside of us says, you take care of number one first. Because that's how we do it. And then when you get to that place where you're comfortable, then you begin to follow God. You're about 99 years old and two more days to live, right? By the way, we had a woman in our last service that came uh, with one of our members, someone's sister, the older sister. She was 102. Had a beautiful corsage on, very articulate. I spoke with her before the last, uh, during the last greeting time in the last service, and, and we're just talking about the Bible. And she said, well, when we were, I said, did you come to Christ as a child? She said, when we were children, we didn't say, are we going to Sunday school? We already got up and knew we were going to Sunday school. And she said, yes, as a child, I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. Born, show me, 1917. That's before U.S. was in the World War I, wasn't it? Let me enter an eight. That's a long time. I hope I can have. It's too late. I'm going to say half her mind when I'm this age. I still don't have. But she's doing great. Jesus said, but first seek his kingdom. First. First. So Jesus can look at the limiting issues in anyone's heart and say, what are you seeking first? If it's not me, don't call yourself my disciple. Because I'm going to say you're not my disciple. Period. Now, look at it. Bring up the next slide. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The word no one in Greek is not tricky. It means no one. So I can put my name in there. You can put your name in there. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Oh, if only I had gone this way. This brother, this sister, this friend, they got so high in the company, but I'm trying to live for Jesus, and I wouldn't come in and work on the Sunday, so it cost me a this, a whatever. Or it cost me a relationship. There's always a cost that comes with Jesus. Jesus never hides it. But Jesus said, if you're going to look back, if you're going to look back and see what relationship that you value the most, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. But the question begs the question, Why? What is Jesus getting to? It's very simple. Bring up the next slide. You see, when you're looking back, when an animal is in front of you and you're directing an animal to get that straight line, straight furrow, and you're looking back, who's steering and guiding the animal? And you have what? As a result, as Jesus said, in double-minded people, they're unstable in all their ways. You have a crooked life. It's not the straight path to God. It's not the right path. It's a crooked path. You have an inconsistent field, i.e., an inconsistent life. 
It's not going to be consistent. It's going to be some here and some there, which means divided loyalty. And Jesus knows the limiting issues inside of every person. God Almighty says there's a lack of total commitment. And Jesus addresses some of the main issues of life as he he directs these comments to three individuals that perhaps are a microcosm of all of us. Cost of discipleship is incredible self-denial. The cost of discipleship is to have an undivided attention to God's kingdom. It's to trust. And the cost of discipleship, of course, means you don't look back. You look forward into what God wants to do, into his kingdom work. Not look about what you could have, what you could do, what you used to have. It's looking forward and going out there and saying, God, there are people still alive, and before they're dead, you have me on a mission on this earth to make other disciples. That's what you said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. How do we miss it? It's so fundamental. And God wants his followers to have that kind of loyalty, period. And so we see everything extracts a price and sacrifice. When some of the young people were, that I knew wanted to be astronauts and would go around the neighborhood with their little space suits and space guns and all of that, who could know that some of the people, that very program would exact, a strice on, extract an incredible price on this, the 50th year of the lunar landing, July 1969. It's crazy, isn't it? But this newspaper is not from that year. This is from January 29, 1986, Greensboro News and Record. Shuttle blast kills all seven aboard. You see, that's quite a price, isn't it? And it's not that these people didn't know that there was danger in what they did. They did. And other astronauts had died before that. One of these happened to be from North Carolina A&T. And it's got actually his picture on here. Ron McNair has an article about him on there. There they are. See, there was a price for that, wasn't there? Ironically, it's the same price Jesus said. Pick up your cross and follow me. Be willing to die for me. Get involved in a life as I look at your limiting issues and get those out of your life. Give me freedom to work on your life. Let me have freedom to work inside your mind and heart and change you from the inside out. You don't have trust, let me help you to trust. You have fears, let me show you how to work through your fears. You have issues, hand them to me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll change your life. I'll give you an abundant life. As pastors are coming forward now, God may have identified something in your life. It may have been a but-first statement because even though you haven't verbally said that, by your action, you have shown the God of the universe that looks into the heart for limiting issues says, you're holding back. You're slandering me because you're saying you're my disciple and you're holding back on that. I'm not talking about the little things we can all deal with each day that we sometimes just bust ourselves onto the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about some issues that need to get right with God, fundamental issues. Who owns all that you have? If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's Jesus. Who owns your life? It's Jesus. And so sometimes we have to just say, God, I'm holding on to this thing way too tight. I've put something else first. God, if you give me this first, answer my prayer first. Give me this first. Let me have this first, this person, this house, this thing. Then I will. More time. God says, today 
you have heard it, and what God has said is true. If you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom of God according to Jesus. That's a humbling statement to hear, isn't it? But it's the truth. And I would be a liar to say to you anything less than what the truth of what Jesus said on the great cost of discipleship. Even for human causes, people are willing to die. And the God of the universe, if he didn't make that claim, isn't worthy of being the God of the universe. But because he is, he can make that claim on my life and on yours. If you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord today, understand that he went on a mission to follow me. He went to the cross. He bled and died for the sins of the world. God did. Rose three days later and offers eternal life as a gift when you receive his grace and mercy that you cannot save yourself, only Jesus can. And he made the payment for your sin. He's the Savior. He's simultaneously the Lord. That is, he wants to have control of your life. When you believe in him, the word of God says he bought you. He purchased you. Therefore, you live for him, not to be saved or not to earn eternal life, but because he's given it to you, you serve him out of obedience, loyalty, self-denial, because he's worthy of that, period. If you'd like to do that today, we'd love to hear from you. We have pastors here. We'd love to know you made that choice. If you don't have a church home today, let me just make it very clear. If this is not the church for you, find another Bible-believing church and join it and get involved in something in the kingdom of God. But if this is the place God has called you, if you're waiting for a but first, I want to but first, I want to hear one more message, meet one more group. Let me just tell you, what you've seen is what you get. We trust Christ as our only Lord and Savior. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, and we're seeking for God to work through our lives. We don't get it done perfectly. We're sinners saved by grace, and we're seeking to be more and more like Jesus. If you want to come on that journey, we invite you to come. But do it someplace. Don't let the enemy himself or your own flesh tell you you have time. There may not be time. I got a call Thursday right before I came up to preach for the Thursday night service. That my Uncle Joe, I loved Uncle Joe, sitting in his chair at his computer, fell out of his chair, called my aunt, and he was gone. It's life. It's true. Don't wait but first. Do what you need to do today. If you need to come forward to be a part of this place, come forward as a candidate for membership. If you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, invite him in your life, do it. And if God has told you, go speak to one of these pastors about something in your life, you just need to get off your chest and say, I'm moving forward with it, you'll have some accountability. You can also pray alone if you'd like, but I'm asking you to stand now. Terry's here to lead us. Jesus told the truth. Let it sink into the heart and respond as he's spoken truth into your heart.